This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Boy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we have Michael Hodgen, the co-founder of Freedom Raveware. Hey Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, how are you? Good, I'm doing great. I'm excited to have you here today. Uh, so Michael, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, um, so basically I am a you know entrepreneur. Uh, I like to think of myself as like a serial entrepreneur in training. Learning how to run a business from, from the ground up is... Uh, giving me an opportunity to you know, hopefully get closer to those more ambitious goals. I went to school in, in New York City and I studied biochem and international studies. I'm now e-commerce rave apparel, so entire 180. It's far away from you know organic chem as you can get, <laughs> but this process has really just helped my personality and character a lot because I'm, I'm not meant for one specific like repeatable task or a few, a few repeatable tasks. I need to have a ton of stimulation and entrepreneurship is right where I feel at home. Great. And then did you do any sort of entrepreneurial endeavors while in college or was that, or was Freedom Raveware your first sort of uh, interest into entrepreneurship? My first gig as a paper boy was like back in second grade, you know, hustling up and down the streets, flipping, flipping uh, newspapers to people and just trying to get good tips. So, you know, I, I saved up money then to, to buy a uh, moped so that then I could go up and down the hills. I, I grew up in Salt Lake City. So go up and down the hills of the Wasatch Front at greater speed, thereby getting more deliveries out before I had to go to class at like 7.30 in the morning. It's always been something I, I've done on the side. Uh, in college, I you know did like a ton of tutoring. I mean, um, tutoring was like my main gig. If someone needed help in biology, cool. If they needed it in chem, cool. If they needed it in physics, great. Math, whatever. Like I would just take it. So um, I would send them kind of a like a heads up. Just hey, send me send me your uh, like current chapter so that I know that I'm I'm good on it. And they'd send it to me, and then I'd just go online, read about it, study as much as I could, make sure I understood you know well enough to teach it, and um, you know, and then we'll go. With, like from there. So it's, it's something I've always done, just like learning and, and, and helping others learn. It's like kind of my thing. Okay, perfect. And then sort of, how, how did you get uh, in college? Um, how did you get to New York so you grew up in? Where, um, Salt Lake. Yeah. Salt Lake City? Yeah. So how did that sort of move to New York happen? Uh, well, I played uh, soccer. So um, I had a scholarship and, you know, went and played school there. So for me, college was more of a find the best, Best, like fit for soccer and have a good time. It wasn't an academic pursuit. Mm -hmm. It was entirely me trying to satisfy my passion, which was soccer and my parents' passion, which was education. So, um, you know, or, or, you know, college education, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. They've, I love the education aspect of it, but paying, you know, a good amount of, a good amount of money to live in New York when I had no in real income aside from tutoring, like <clears throat> that put me in the hole. So the other reason I think <laughs> Why we've been so successful in the entrepreneurship game is like we have to be we've got you know there's student loans to pay back <laughs> yeah and then sort of uh, since I, I obviously clearly it looks like your first passion is probably something like soccer 
I'm assuming you probably wanted to go to like the MLS or something like that. I played at a pretty high level uh, for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And going from the track of, okay, let's go and be a professional soccer player, which was an option for me at the end of my senior year. I went to Guatemala and trialed with a pro team down there and had a great time and got an offer that was, you know, what would be, maybe be the equivalent of 15,000 US dollars, right, to be mm-hmm. down there. And it was at that point where I was like, I love soccer and this is great. I'm not the next Cristiano. I know my place uh, and I could do, you know, do this and have some fun for a while, but um, I need to go and like find, find what my like career is going to be. So I ended up um, at that point moving to San Diego with uh, really chasing who's my, you know, my co-founder now, but my girlfriend at the time, just trying to uh, make things work instead of being so far away. So, Yeah. What did that feel like when you, I guess, came to the realization that, hey, like, I'm not going to be, like, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo, um, one of the greatest soccer players, or, like, Messi. You know, what was that realization like? Because I would say, like, you've been doing this for, what, maybe 10-plus years, right? And then all of a sudden, you give that up. How did that feel? I did not dwell on it for a second. I made the decision and moved. I rarely play soccer now. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I did every day for, you know, like you said, you know, over 10 years to just diving right into something else, like, you know, building a company. Um, I, I don't look in the rearview mirror that much. I look back and you maybe get like nostalgic every now and then, but it's not been something that has caused me any sort of emotional mm-hmm. pain. It didn't feel like anything. I felt like it was the right thing to do. And it was just like a choice in a series of, voices to try and get where we are today okay perfect and then sort of can you talk to us a little bit about you know when you guys start freedom rave where was that before you moved to san diego or after you and Alyssa moved to san diego uh it was after so i i moved she's she's from san diego originally and um i moved out here we were dating and i thought to myself hey uh like i need to take her on a cool date, you know? So we, we ended up going to Hard Summer, which is a music festival in the LA area. Had a great time, uh, had no idea what to expect. Uh, decided to go to a second festival, which was about a month later. And at that festival, Alyssa had made us some outfits, like a little couple's matching outfit. And people loved it. They absolutely like loved the look. And you know, a bunch of people came up asking like, where did we get the outfits? And after like the 10th person asked that day, um, I like looked at her, I was like, do you, could you do this? You know, like, do you, could, could you make outfit? I don't know why I even asked that, but I just felt like there was such a big opportunity when you, know, you got 40,000 people like cruising around. It was like 40,000 people at this, at this event. It was yeah. like, this is huge. And you know, if she has a talent at being able to make things that people clearly like, then how can I support that? And that night we decide, like while we were at the festival, decided to start the company. Seven days later, um, we were had filed, you know, got our like filed on legal zoom, had our papers back every festival and show we could go to. We were handing out cards and just talking to people and getting to know as many people as we could. So like we dove in, just, I mean, I kind of see a theme here. Like once the decisions, yeah. it's like, you just go, and that's how we started it was entirely from just hey this is a lot of fun like do you think we could do do this yeah okay let's try there was no plan there was no like (laughs) oh we're gonna do all it was just like passion pure passion yeah so it looks like once you think of something you just go in and dive right in and, and you know make it work essentially yep perfect and then sort of 
how did you come up with your name? You know, Freedom Graveware. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, like we have a lot of new founders, they take a long time for the name. They want the perfect name. How did you know this was the right name for you, for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was... We, we didn't have like a huge planning session that, you know, we would do now is, you know, for making other companies and starting up other business ideas. But we, we just sat down and said, I asked Alyssa, I was like, how does, how does like raving make you feel? And she said free. And then I was like, all right, well, how are people going to find what we're looking for? So we did some like Google trends and the like most search for item was raveware uh, out of, I think, festival outfits and, um, at least it was specific to what we were trying to serve, um, you know, so combined what we believed was a positive search term that we would organically show up for eventually and paired it with like a feeling and that's how we got it. Probably not the best name in terms of being able to enunciate though. R's following, W's following R's are extremely difficult. We did not consider that when we first started. Ray Rare, you know. Yeah, yeah Ray Rare, yeah, because it's, uh, it's the constant following a vowel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you can do, you know, a lot of people call it, just say FRW. So Okay, yeah, FRW. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. And then, okay, perfect. And then, you know, basically that process that you decided, I want to make Freedom Ra- Raveware and then start your store. How did you know, like, did you, were you, were you or Alyssa, like, e-commerce savvy? You know, how did you know how to price things? You know, how did you know about shipping? How did that sort of all tie in together? As like a new founder, you know, were you overwhelmed by that? I was never overwhelmed by it because I didn't really know where it was going and what it would entail. So I wasn't, we weren't really focused on big picture in the beginning. It was just like, okay, we want people to purchase the, purchase these products. Well, what's our product? Mm-hmm. Uh, Alyssa can make anything that's like a custom outfit. So we'll just, you know, have pretty open-ended like pitch. And what we would say is we'd go up to people and be like, Hey, we'll make you an outfit, and if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Now, people just removed risk, and people were stoked, and they gave us a try. And you know, if we were gonna, you know, we would ask them like, "What's your budget?" Mm-hmm. And they were like, "150 bucks." Then we'd be like, "All right." So, in order for this to make sense for us, like, you know, let's factor in Alyssa. How much time is it going to take? We all always calculated in at like a minimum wage rate mm-hmm. for the, for the beginning. I mean, we've been very like, even, even now, like very humble with the idea of not overpaying ourselves or getting, you know, thinking that what we do is so special, like barely pay it, pay what we need to, to, to get, to get moving and learn and get sales and have customers and not trying to maximize profit at the beginning. Like it was just about let's reach more people as fast as we can by giving like a competitive price, really cover, you know, cover our costs, but maybe only do a two X like, you know, for a custom item, which is really, really crazy. So we were doing a lot of sweat equity stuff in the beginning too. And um, I don't know. I just don't think we would have been able to, to do it any other way. We didn't have any money back then. How much money do you guys, that's a good question for our, our listeners and readers. How much money do you guys use to start this startup? I guess some people think that it requires thousands of dollars, but were you guys all bootstrapped? Were you fr- family and friend funded? How, how did you guys sort of fund your business, your first, you know, essentially order your website, everything that's needed? Yeah, I'd say for the first, um, I mean, when we started, we had maybe like $700. So we really didn't have any, I mean, enough to get like a Shopify subscription, um, you know, and to uh, enough to go to Michael's and buy some, 
some uh, trim, some fat, <laughs> and you know, hot glue and a glue gun. And it was like, all right, we need to make a sale before we can buy anything. So we collected the payments um, beforehand. You know, we did like pre-sale type stuff. So that helped because then it gave us some money to work with. And we just did that like rinse and repeat. It wasn't some complicated story of like having to go out and try and secure funding. It was just you know, all right, we're going to sell like a $100 item or a $200 item. Okay, let's go get some supplies and, and do what we can with it. And and I wouldn't say, I mean, we, we've taken uh, a couple small like friend loans, I guess is what it would be. Uh, once we were at like the half a million dollar mark in revenue, $15,000 loans here and there. And other than that, it's, you know, funded by the sales of the products. And that's kept us in a really healthy place. And I don't really plan on changing that. Mm-hmm. Um, too much aside from maybe occasionally trying to increase like marketing spend. We just like the freedom of not having other considerations that we have to think about. You know, it's, uh, we like doing things ourselves. It's been like that. Well, perfect. And that's another good question. You know, how do you guys think about marketing and sort of getting your name out there? Um, You know, as new entrepreneurs, new founders, I guess sometimes people don't think that marketing is really important in order to get your brand out there, products out there. You know, how have you guys done it? Um, I think you kind of briefly talked about SEO. Do you guys get a lot about organic traffic? Do you guys use paid traffic? How do you guys think about that? Alyssa and I are very good at prioritizing a fun lifestyle alongside and never at the expense of work. Mm-hmm. We will either make work work with our, our lifestyle or we won't do that work. That is something that takes a lot of focus, but it's, I really think that the, like our, one of our defining characteristics is that we know how to make work fun. And that's what we did in the branding process. We were able to save up enough money from all those little custom orders to then, you know, reach out to a music festival and say, Hey, can we set up a booth? And, you know, we shoved everything we could. Alyssa was, you know, sewing everything back then and put it into a little car and drove over to, you know, to Arizona and did our first festival. We talked to everybody, man. I mean, as many people as we could just to let them know. Cause it was like, Hey, we're spending, you know, maybe it was like 500 bucks for the day or something. Like we need to make the most of this. And, um, you know, we, we covered our costs for that first one and it was like, Hey, like, I think we can, we can, you know, do this even better. So we ended up going to like over 50 festivals over the next two years. Gradually our space went from a 10 by 10, you know, to a 10 by 20 to like a 20 by 20 from small shows of 10,000 people to EDC Vegas, of you know, 150,000 people. So along that journey, we just kept growing by being in the scene. We were at more festivals in most two years than most people go to in their lifetime by five times. You know what I mean? Most people yeah. don't do that. But it let wow. us see a lot of trends. It let us speak to people. It let us understand the people that we're serving. And also for us, like we had started out as people who had barely been to a festival when we started the company. So like we have to walk the walk and we've been to a lot of shows now and talk to a lot of people and have a really good, like genuine, authentic roots. And I think that when it comes to branding, you have to have that because if you don't, you run the risk of being exposed as, you know, somebody who's just trying to take advantage of a marketplace and for a lifestyle brand, that kind of reputation is going to really, really hurt you and you can't escape it. Like the truth always presents itself. And if you're someone out there buying your fake followers or you're, you know, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you're trying to make this illusion of being the, of the lifestyle brand. Like, no, no, no. You have to like live the lifestyle if you want to do that successfully and authentically. Yeah, you can still do it. Don't get me wrong. I could pretend like I'm, you know, uh, really into golfing and I could spin up a sweet e-commerce store and make money off it. But the vibe's just not going to be right unless I'm spending time at the golf course talking to the pros, knowing what they're doing. So it's just something like, I don't know, being authentic is huge for us. Yeah, being authentic. I think that goes with like most founders and most brands. You want to be living what the brand is and sort of at least experiencing the things that your customers are. And also that would just make your branding better. You'll know what, what products to make. That'll make your product a much easier. And, you know, if customers have questions, you can sort of easy, easily answer them versus, you know, struggle to answer them as well. Yeah. When you're going, when you're going to two festivals every month, like the product testing is live. You know, someone comes up, oh, I like this. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, why doesn't it do this? It was just for us. We, we were in, and I speak to it as past tense because we haven't been to a festival now for just over a year and a half. As a festival vendor, we still go to shows all the time, um, you know, but we're not setting up our booths there. Mm-hmm. The, that was a type of replacement for an online survey. And I think that you really get to see, sometimes online surveys can mislead you. You know, as an entrepreneur, you're trying to see, you know, sample your audience and see what they really like. Nothing really replaces seeing their face, you know, react to a product. I just think that's huge. So if you can do that, you're an entrepreneur and you know how to observe people in authentic moments, not just through a survey. I think that's also huge. Yeah. Surveys don't tell you much. It's like, it's when you can talk to customers directly when they see your product and also you as a founder, when you actually see their face is more important because you can see if they're delighted by what, what you have or disappointed by what you have and no survey can ever tell you that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it just gets to the truth of it faster. And that's what you need. You need to get to the truth. You know, you can't, it's just, what's the point of, of, of thinking that you understand something, but it's just a veneer. I don't know. These things really, I mean, they're at the core of why I love what we're doing is because we're really trying to figure out genuine ways to, to understand people. That's cool stuff. It's exciting. How much do you like, what, what, can you give some ranges on how much these boots at these events would cost? And would you see a direct ROI? Like, would you make your money back that same day, that week? Sort of, you know, how did you guys as a company think about up the budget for these boots or events that you attended? I guess maybe past the first few ones that you knew were maybe for yeah. research and... Um, yeah, once we, were, once we were moving and shaking at the big ones. Yeah. Um, yes. So we always, I, mean, I can't think of two festivals actually, um, two festivals where we like broke even. And so out of the, you know, 50 plus festivals, that's not a bad uh, uh, return. I think that on average, we would get maybe three to five X um, what the, the, the booth cost was. And if we could, you know, once we had a pretty good idea of what we could sell, then we could, we would know if that daily fee was something that we would entertain trying to keep it within that, you know, three to five X return. So if a booth costs a thousand dollars a day for a, for a 10 by 10, all right, well, we need to make sure that we can sell, you know, three or $5,000 of product through that channel and capture as much data from, I mean, whether it's emails or they're getting, they're following us on Instagram or we're doing, you know, marketing sort of, um, uh, giveaways at the booth. We need to do something to make sure we can stay in touch with these people and make the most out of the money we're spending at the show because the reality is a lot of the festivals do not care what a vendor what vendor they work with they just it's a it's a channel it's a sales channel to them and they'll put you wherever they're going to put you and it's really up to the vendor uh, 
you know, to the entrepreneurs there to like make the most out of it and not rely on the venue to provide any of it. Cause you know, you're, it's your money. And at the end of the day, like you need to watch out for what a good return is going to be. So I say that we saw, I don't know, maybe 50, a hundred. I don't know how many other vendors, you know, we got relationships with through that time, like tons of other businesses. Most of them did not enjoy the same success that we did. I think the main reason right off the bat is the number of products, the number of SKUs they had didn't speak to enough people. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are sort of like one product or maybe five product type companies and they show up and they've got those products, but you know, all these people are walking by their booth and there's, it's just, it's just too specific. Mm-hmm. We would show up and then set up like a straight store, like a pop-up shop. I mean, we are coming in with like a hundred variants of stuff. You know, we, <laughs> so like, we brought in so much stuff that it would just, it made it easier for us to make the money back because we weren't like, hoping that people really like this one specific product. Yeah. I think that's huge. Like you can't go in with one product. I would advise so much against that. And then sort of when you were at these uh, pop-ups, would you make, would you have like uh, them just buy online off through your computer there? And I, as in like, okay, here's the items and we'll ship it to you. Or were you actually selling the products there? We were selling the products there. Uh, we eventually went moved from that small little car to a, a Dodge Ram 2500 <laughs> foot. Uh, with a big travel trailer. So we were, we were lugging stuff back and forth across the country. So I know some people have pop-up stores. You've probably seen some like venture capital companies have yeah. a pop-up store, but you can't actually buy the good there. They'll be like, hey, this is just a demo item. Order it through the computer here or on your phone and then we'll ship it to you. Yeah, I think that process for our group is just because they want the instant gratification. Like, yeah, you okay. can get some sales, but people want it right there. Mm-hmm. They want to take it and walk out with it and put it on. You know, the the products that you could wear right then and there, we always sold more of. Whereas, you know, selling a bodysuit at a music festival, like the person's already wearing clothes. They're not yeah. going to go change. So yeah, you should still sell the bodysuit. They're, you know, some of them will put it in their backpack or like carry it around in a bag. But the ones you know, you're going to sell a bandana at a, at a festival, you're going to do pretty well. You're going to sell like things that you can just throw on or add to your, your outfit already. You're going to do really well. So I would make sure that um, we had the stuff in, you know, the product on hand and we used Shopify POS for the, the checkout process there. Okay, perfect. And yeah, I think you also brought another good point that I just want to highlight again for our listeners is for something like this, especially with pop-ups or boots, you want to make sure you can still contact the users that come to you through email, through Instagram, through just liking your Facebook page, because you still want to be able to interact with them or at least offer them another product or item that you might have in your store later on. And that's so important with these type of channels. I want to talk to you guys about like, how do you guys think about, you know, maybe digital marketing or online marketing? Is that something you guys focus on? Do you guys use ads or advertising or anything like that? We've structured it to benefit our manufacturing and production schedule. So we didn't do that at first when we started the company, the production lived sort of separately from the, from the digital marketing efforts and strategies, meaning they work together, but they weren't designed together. And I think that's super important when you're trying to find an efficiency that can scale. And so what we do now is we have products that we make once and once they're sold out, they don't get made again. 
Um, we have digital marketing efforts that take those products, those collections, those you know hero banner images or that product photography. We send that out to our influencers and brand ambassadors. Uh, we look at which of those pieces of content performed organically best. And then we choose those pieces of content to uh, post through Facebook, maybe top of funnel or like cold traffic advertising campaigns. We then extract those insights from the web traffic that it does drive to use retargeting ads to start to then bring people back to the site based on the behavior that they exhibited while they were on the site. And as that cycle starts to like end, you know, maybe someone's done seeing it, you know, 14 days, 21 days later, whatever they, they're there not going to buy. We've already had two additional collections released. We're, we're releasing things weekly now. So it's just constantly feeding itself. Like our, we're never missing or in need for content because we have new products made literally on like a weekly basis that we're releasing. And that synergy between the two has enabled us to really over time start to generate the consistency and um, engagement that the social media platforms seem to really favor. And I think that's why we have such a strong like social media um, community is because we're consistently delivering that and they can expect it and there's still exclusivity mixed within it. So it just, it works really well. And that's how, that's how we think about it. We look at it from a holistic standpoint where we are e-commerce, you know, retailers, but at our core, we're you know apparel manufacturers, and figuring out how to bring that process into the the this you know digital marketing renaissance that uh, where there's tools everywhere, just merging them together in a productive and effective way. It's like that's what we do. That's what we love. Going on this sort of thing with manufacturing, when did you guys switch to you know manufacturing? And do you use a supplier supply chain? Um, and sort of are they still made in California? We moved into our first like warehouse space three you know three years after we founded the company so we you know we ran this company from our apartment for three years building it organically learning figuring things out and then over the last you know year and a half once we moved into the warehouse really really tooled it up and revamped all of our product offerings so we went from making custom outfits and Alyssa making everything to you know hiring seamstresses here we make everything in San Diego we have our seamstresses here at our warehouse we buy our fabric mostly from the fashion district in LA and have really just done everything we can to increase the time from our design concept to when it's available on the website, which is why we're releasing, you know, we, in the three months up to EDC, we've, we will have released 16 collections. Yeah. Our nearest competitor might've released two or three. So the difference, the reason we're able to do that is because, you know, my seamstress can throw something at, at the designer <laughs> you yeah. know, if they're in the same building. And so we, we're building that side. Now we sell accessories and stuff that we buy from uh, overseas or, or different vendors in LA and stuff like that. But for our apparel, we're very much focused on controlling that process. Cause then we like our, that's why our quality is top notch. Cause we, we really do check everything that comes out. We made it. Yeah. And for something like this, like, it's like, if anybody goes to your website, freedomraveware.com, you see that a lot of your designs are custom, like I've designed designs I've never seen before. Do you guys file, file patents or trademarks or is that something that you can do for your type of business? It's a great question. I think that it's something that a lot of designers struggle with. Um, I say designers, I don't include myself in that. Alyssa is the designer mm -hmm. because there's that emotional connection to the piece that you've created. But 
it's just not worth it to us. We're, we're, we have this sort of shelf life. We want to, we want people to know us for having an excessive amount of new. And once it's created, like, good, I hope someone copies it. Fantastic. Cause we've already moved on. If, mm-hmm. you, if you copied it within the same week as me, then maybe I'd be like, yeah, we need to do some stuff, but it's just not something that we really care about. If people want to copy, great, go for it. Um, that's, it's not what we're about we care about, we care about so much different stuff, but I see, I see designers get so upset with this concept of like, Oh, you took this design. You took this design for me. And like, it, yes, of course there are people who do copy other people. And like, that is horrible. Do not do it. But the world just doesn't seem to favor protectionist uh, mentality. Now it's like, do something that you have no control over that. So what can you have control over? Well, for us, we can have control over just producing ridiculous amounts of stuff. So we'll just stick to that. Yeah, exactly. Like your uniqueness, your branding, your creativity, no one can copy that because that's your, in your mind. Um, But yeah, like, I mean, like, you know, Amazon is a big betrayer of this. People will see anything on Amazon and then three other companies overnight will pop up saying the same thing. And there's just no way to prevent copycats nowadays. But the ability to create and design something that is what makes your brand unique and like kind of what you're saying before your branding your story no one can replicate that um, no matter how much they try yeah and that's that's the benefit you know when we have a democratized access to you know to to, to selling right you have markets everywhere you can sell it's so easy now when you have all of those people yeah the the <laughs> the real differentiator becomes your your creativity, um, or at least creativity gets a lot more a weighted score. And I mean, it, it shouldn't it be that way, right? I mean, yeah. in, in like best world, like you would think that creativity would would have some value. And I think it's so funny looking back at. I remember when people would be like, "Oh, an artist, like you could, like you're going to be a star ring artist." Yeah. Like, we would we are actively looking for talented graphic designers. You know, yeah. <laughs> artist is awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, because yeah, especially right now, like you, you want to be more creative than anybody other besides even copywriters, writers too. Such big in demand right now when everything else is democratized. Because before it's something like Shopify, you would need twenty developers, but now you don't even need a Shopify. You don't even need an app developer or programmer to help you with your website because Shopify makes it so easy. That's crazy, right? Yeah, blessed times, man. Blessed times for sure. Okay, perfect. And just going on that sort of tangent about Shopify, what are the tools or platforms that you use to run your business? Oh, yeah, we got some good ones here. <laughs> Let me just pull this up because this is great. The Shopify app store is just a wealth of knowledge for entrepreneurs who are like just starting out. I really liked installing apps, trying them out, seeing what it's all about, you know, reading the reviews, if deleting it if you, if you didn't like it. So I have tried a lot of apps and that has helped me find the ones that I that really fit our specific needs. And I think that there are so many apps that do the job, but it's important that you find the one that does the best job for you. And you really can't know that unless you try, you know, multiple return portal uh, apps for your return process, because some of it make it a little easier for returns. Some of them make it a little easier to handle like an exchange. Anyway, I just think that that whole process of finding the right tech stack is so much fun. But uh, some of the ones that we really like uh, for like for our Facebook product feed, we use one that's called awesome. Um, I've had better results with that than the native uh, Facebook and Instagram product feed. 
uh, that's again, just a personal thing. Um, you know, we really like gorgeous for our customer service help desk. That definitely has been a real game changer from previously thinking about, well, is it a Zendesk or something, you know, yeah. is it something we can use that can help us. But in reality, like gorgeous was built for Shopify stores and integrates easily with our like smile rewards program and, um, you know, Clavio for email marketing and, um, and so gorgeous, if you've got, you know, enough, I think it's like the $99, like a month's price point. <laughs> yeah. If you've got more than, you know, five, 10 tickets a day, like you should definitely consider gorgeous. It's awesome. Inventory planner helps us with uh, forecasting. It's been the best for this point, $99 inventory planner. What is that called? Because um, that's one, that's funny because I, we have a, like, we do a lot of clients that they need help with inventory planning and, we were looking for a plugin this morning. <laughs> yeah, inventory planner is hands down the best one for the price point. Now you could look at some of the other ones like Stitch Labs or something that's going to be more robust in terms of its functionality, but it's also way more robust in its price. <laughs> so, so I think that inventory planner, if you can justify the ninety nine dollars, that's that's huge because you get you get to adjust sales forecasting. So it's looking at the. Um, the traffic on the product page is, as well and, and letting you know, all right, well, based on the amount of sales plus the traffic, this is what you can predict into the future. And it's been pretty good. But if you're seasonal or you know that your July is going to be really heavy, you can manually increase July's forecast like 30% or whatever, just so you can uh, okay. get those orders um, ahead of time. And you know, you can create your purchase orders, your barcode labels, all that kind of stuff in there. So Clavio is great. Uh, we got Nosto for product recommendations. Um, now I'm just, we got recharge for our subscription box um, and route shipping insurance for our uh, uh, customers so that they don't have to feel entirely disappointed when they don't get a package that you know, USPS messed up. So like, that's huge. I think Shopify is probably one of the greatest platforms out there. Developers, the apps, they just make it so easy for e-commerce entrepreneurs to really, like you said before, test and see what works best for you. Cause there's so many of the same apps, but each app does something a little bit different. The UI is a little bit different, but that's what gives you as a founder the freedom to test and really just try them out without having to hire a huge developer to make something custom that is going to have this ongoing development headache. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I, you know, I have people say like, how do you do all this stuff if you don't do code or develop? So I'm like, listen, I can copy paste. And I can, <laughs> yeah. like, that's, that's pretty much, I feel like the qualifications to be able to integrate the like, you know, 20 plus apps we have, you know, there's support staff on each one of these. They're willing to help. They, there's a symbiotic need. They need you, you need them. So, you know, hey, I'll give you a good review if you help me out with this. It's always a good way to start because they want reviews so that their product can do well on the app store and you yep. want to have an app that works on your platform so that you can in, in, enhance the experience for your customers. So it's like, it's a win-win. It's, it literally is people who want to work together, trying to work together. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. You help them out. They'll help you out for sure. Uh, okay, Michael. And sort of the last question I have for you is where can we go to learn more about you, your company or your online story? You can go to www.freedomravewear.com to shop the latest and greatest festival of fashion that is made with love. Um, you can find us on Instagram or any of our social media at Freedom Ravewear. We are always active, always posting, you know, slide into our DMs, we'll slide back. And as far as events, we have, if you're in the LA area, we have an event March 28th. Um, it's a bass show. It's our first time throwing a, a music event. So um, hopefully more of that to come and 
uh, you can get more information on that under the uh, community tab on our website. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much everything on the, uh, on the contact side. Perfect. All right. Thank you, Michael, so much for your time. Everybody else, please go check out freedomravewear.com. A lot of new apparel, new stuff coming out every week. And you should also follow them on Instagram. They have a lot of good images, over 85,000 followers. And if you're in LA, they're hosting a party this month on the 28th. So thanks so much, Michael, for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.